In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. The first mention of Christ's kingship, of Christ as king, in the gospel comes from the Magi who were looking for him. And it comes in the form of this question. Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? Lord Jesus, your rule, your power is not obvious. It's not overwhelming. It's not public. It has to be looked for diligently and looked for with faith. And so on this feast of Christ the King, We can ask ourselves in our prayer, Where is he? Where are you, Lord? Show me your power. Show me your kingship. Show me your authority. Our Lord himself refers to the hidden nature of his kingdom. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Lo, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Do not say here it is or there it is. The kingdom of God is among you. And yet we have to ask, where? Where is he? Where is the child who is the king of the Jews? Christ the king, Lord, you are here among us, but you're hidden and it takes faith and effort to find you and to let you be king, to let you rule. takes faith and effort. Lord Jesus, you're hidden in the midst of us. You're hidden in our churches, in our chapels, in the tabernacle. You're further hidden inside of that tabernacle, under the appearance of bread. And in our mental prayer and in our mass, we look for you there. We look for you in the bread to find you and to let you rule over us. To have a king is to be subject to a king, to want to obey him, to be loyal to him, to be a loyal servant. And that too takes faith, effort, humility, a good use of our freedom. Lord, I want not only to find you as king and to see your kingdom, but I want to be a loyal subject. I want to submit myself to your rule. I want to obey you. Lord, you're hidden in the tabernacle. You're hidden in the bread. You're hidden in the word of God. You're hidden in my soul in the state of grace. Behold, I am with you always until the end of time. And when we live charity, when we submit our will, Lord, to yours, when we overcome ourselves in small or big ways, when we live the presence of God, that's precisely when we let our Lord rule within us. It's not enough for us to say, Christ is king. A king 
has to have subjects. And a kingdom is only going to go well if his subjects are loyal and obedient and have a spirit of service. And so on the Feast of Christ the King, it's good for us to remind ourselves of that great virtue of obedience, of what we used to call fealty, being subject to a king. And it's very foreign to our modern sensibilities, well, most of us anyway don't have monarchs who have real power over us in the temporal sphere, in the political sphere. And there's such a focus on individual autonomy and freedom in our modern age, which is a great gift. It's something very positive. But nevertheless, it can come at a cost, the cost of having Christ as king, at the cost of belittling or overlooking the virtue of obedience in our religious life, doing the will of God. Christ was all about this. I only do what pleases him. My food, in another place, he says, is to do the will of of my Father in heaven. My food is to do the will of my Father. I only do what pleases him. We're redeemed by an act of obedience, and therefore obedience will be a key way that we imitate our Lord, a key ingredient of sanctity, of our imitation of Christ, will be to say with him, not my will, but yours be done. And to say with his mother, be done unto me according to your word. But to get that, to overcome our reluctance to obey, we have to see Christ the King. We have to see God as King and how good God is, and how his will is for our good, and how it's okay to be subject to him, how it's okay to let him rule over us, how it's perfectly fine, the best use of our freedom, to use our freedom to obey him, to make his will more important than ours, to freely lay down our will in the service of his will, as a knight of old would lay down his arms in front of the king kneel down, put himself in that defenseless posture of kneeling and take out his sword and lay it at the feet of his king. So we too, we we come before our Lord with all of our gifts, all of our powers, our will, which is so important and so powerful. And we lay it down in front of our Lord freely and we say, Lord, this is all for you. What's your bidding, Master? What do you want me to do with these weapons that you've given me, of my intelligence, of my heart, of my will, my body, my time. What is your will for me, my king? Lord Jesus, your kingdom is among us, but it's hidden, and we have to ask, where is he? Where is he who is born king? You're hidden in the tabernacle. You're hidden in the word of God and scripture. You're hidden in my soul. You're hidden in all the tasks I do throughout the day. And you're hidden in all the people in my life, especially in the least of these, your brethren. You're hidden, Lord, in the people I find difficult. You're hidden in the sick and the infirm. And in these days, perhaps the sick and the infirm are less hidden, but still our Lord is hidden within them. And we need faith to see Christ in the least of these, his brethren. Lord, help me to serve you to love you, to obey you in others. Where is he? Where is the king? It takes faith to see Christ the king, 
It also takes patience to let his kingdom spread. So many images our Lord uses to tell us about the kingdom of God are images of patience. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, we have three parables of the kingdom in a row. And they're all images of patience. The parable of weeds sown among the wheat. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. An incredible parable of patience, of tolerance. So many times in our life when we see trouble and problems, we have the reaction of these slaves. Well, let's destroy it. Let's get rid of it. Let's force the good outcome or force the good state. And in doing that, if it's not done with charity and, and a great deal of prudence, right, we rush in and we correct things, but we make them worse because we hurt people and people don't feel understood and we don't do it with the love of Christ, with the forbearance of Christ. And so we have to wait. We have to wait and bide our time to help correct things in the world, to help correct things in our families, living that patience of Christ, waiting for the right time to separate the weeds from the wheat. And also in our own heart, at times, we would like to have a quick fix to our vices, a quick fix to our patterns of thoughts or feelings that bother us or that we know can be worked on and can be improved. And to do it violently is a sign of a lack of humility. It could be a sign of a lack of trust in our Lord, that everything takes its time, everything has its process. And yes, there are times when we have to make a big decision or big attitude adjustment and make drastic changes and that could be very helpful. But there are other times when we have these nagging attitudes or nagging vices and they've become kind of set and the the struggle might be just to accept it and keep doing our best and being patient and yes, working on it with our will, not choosing anything bad, but being patient with that part of us that we don't have a, a direct control over. It could be an emotional reaction. It could be some way of thinking about something that we know is not quite right. It could be a habit that you know we just can't get any traction on. We have to keep trying different things. That patience, that the kingdom of God, it comes with patience. It grows slowly. The next parable makes the same point. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. It takes time for the mustard seed to develop into that great shrub, which is a tree, a shelter for so many. It takes time in the right conditions, and so it takes patience. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The third of these three parables of patience with regard to our Lord's kingdom. Again, it takes time for the yeast to leaven the whole mass of dough. The growing of the weeds and the wheat together, the growth of the mustard seed into the shrub, the leavening of the bread by the yeast. All of these are processes that take their time. And all of these are processes that work with invisible changes. We don't see how the wheat grows from a grain of wheat into those full sheaves of wheat in the field. We don't see the, the molecular and cellular processes that go into the mustard seed becoming this wonderful tree. We don't see the chemical reactions of the yeast leavening the dough. They're all processes that take their time and they're all processes that in a certain sense are invisible. And we have to say, where is the kingdom? Where is it growing? Well, it's growing, but we just can't see it. And before, Lord, you come again in your power, this will be your kingdom. This will be how things work. Things are happening, they're developing, but they're not yet completed. They're not yet perfect. The weeds and the wheat grow together. I remember studying theology in Rome, and one of the courses was eschatology on the last things. And there was a principle, a theological principle in Italian, that really applies to all sorts of ideas in our faith, all sorts of doctrines that we believe. It was Ja Manonancora. And in Italian, it sounds kind of funny and, and uh, sounds good. And uh, the idea, it's paradoxical, right? Ja, already, ma non ancora, not yet. Already, but not yet. And this is so important for our Christian life and for our understanding of the history of the church and the history of salvation, God's kingdom. God's kingdom is already here. It's in the midst of you. It's in the church. It's in your prayer life. It's in the sacraments. It's in the spreading of the gospel. It's already here. It's already growing. But it's not yet fully developed. And the same is true, the kingdom of heaven in the midst of me, in terms of in my soul, my heart, my own sanctity. It's already here. Our Lord is already working on my soul. The wheat is growing. But it's not yet fully developed. I still need to work on things. And so on the one hand, yes, we want to move faster. We want to say yes to Christ the King. We want to be obedient so that kingdom of God can move faster, Lord, in my heart, in this little part of your kingdom, which is me, my day, my heart, my will, my prayer life, my apostolate, my work. We want it to move faster, and so we want to say yes to our Lord more bravely, more courageously. But we have to do this with humility, which means with patience, avoiding frustration. 
our apostolate Lord in the church. It's already happening. We're already helping people. But it's not yet fully developed. It's not where God will take it if we're obedient subjects to him. It takes its time. These images show us the importance of hidden processes. And hidden processes are the result of many small changes. Changes that occur on the molecular level, imperceptible to the eyes. Small events. And this shows us the value of our own life. Our own life, St. Rosemary would say, is not made up of great things. Our life is made up of many small things. And those small things, if they're done with love and obedience to God and trying to do His will, well, they're all these small, like little molecular changes that advance the kingdom of God. A little thing done for love is worth so much. That wonderful line, St. Maria from the way. A little thing done for love is worth so much. The first mention of Christ the King in the Gospel is a question, where is he? Where is the King? And the last mention of Christ the King in the Gospels is also a question. Pilate asks our Lord, are you a king? What a great question, Lord, for us to ask you in our prayer. Are you a king? And it's a question, of course, that ends up being a question about my relationship to you, Lord. It's a question that I ask to you, and it bounces back to me. Are you a king? Becomes, is Christ my king? Is he in charge of my life? Am I truly his subject? Do I organize my day, my time, and do I try to think in such a way that I'm trying to do his will, that I'm trying to let him rule, that I'm letting him set the agenda? Do I sit in my prayer and really think, well, what does Christ want from me today? Or what does Christ want from me this week or this month or this year? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in his last appearance to the apostles. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power has been given to our Lord. And so my obedience, my fealty, my subjection to Christ, to God, should reflect that objective dominion that he has. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. My devotion to you, Lord, should reflect that role that you have as king. I should be devoted to Christ as a loyal and loving subject is devoted to his king. I want Christ to reign. Christ should reign, as St. Paul says. Jesus Christ should reign. And this helps us to think about our mental prayer when I come into our Lord's presence, when I receive our Lord in communion. It's a very special moment. It's a personal audience with the King of the universe, with my King, with my Lord, with my God. St. Thomas More, who had a very intense experience of knowing a King, <laughs> as we know, King Henry VIII, um, makes this comparison. Right? Being in prayer comparing it to having an audience with a powerful king and a king that has to judge us. Imagine, if you will, St. Thomas More writes in The Sadness of Christ, his last work, 
Imagine, if you will, that you have committed a crime of high treason against some mortal prince or other, who has your life in its hands, but who is so merciful that he is prepared to temper his wrath because of your repentance and humble supplication, and to commute the death sentence into a monetary fine, or even to suspend it completely, if you give convincing signs of great shame and sorrow. Now when you have been brought into the presence of the prince, go ahead and speak to him carelessly, casually, without the least concern. While he stays at one place and listens attentively, stroll around here and there as you run through your plea. Then when you have had enough of walking up and down, sit down on a chair, or if courtesy seems to require that you condescend to kneel down. First command someone to come and place a cushion beneath your knees, or better yet, to bring a Purdue with another cushion to lean your elbows on. Then yawn, stretch, sneeze, spit without giving it a thought, and belch up the fumes of your gluttony. In short, conduct yourself in such a way that he can clearly see from your face, your voice, your gestures, and your whole bodily deportment that while you are addressing him, you are thinking about something else. Tell me now, what success could you hope for from such a plea as this? It's kind of a graphic and striking, even comical, but (laughs) incisive and convicting portrait of how we can comport ourselves, how we can act during our prayer. Lord, we're in front of you, the King. All authority is subject to me on heaven and earth, and you'll come in power and glory to judge us. And we we might be there as if we were in the gym or <laughs> in the park or in the mall, and we might be thinking about the things that we think about in the gym or in the park or in the mall or on our phones. We might literally be on our phones. And so while in principle we're there to have this audience with our king, to ask him for things humbly and to seek his commands, seek his will, to tell him that we love him and to converse with him. At the same time, because of our lack of focus or our lack of effort to be focused, to be recollected, we tell him with our comportment and with our thoughts that eh, he's not that important, right? We, we really, we really don't care that much about being in his presence. Lord, help me to see your presence in my life is very special. You are the king of the universe and you've let me into your confidence. You've let me into your friendship. Like a king has an inner circle, friends and advisors who he trusts, who he gives important assignments to, who he entrusts with his confidence and his plans. Well, our mental prayer is a chance to do that, to have these very confidential and very intimate meetings with Christ the King. We want Christ to reign, St. Josemaria preached, but where should Jesus Christ reign? He should reign, first of all, in our souls. He should reign in our life because our whole life should be a witness of love. Lord, you should reign in my soul. You should reign in my life. Pius XI, in instituting the Feast of Christ the King, made a similar point to St. Josemaria. St. Josemaria says, We want Christ to reign. He should reign, first of all, in our souls. 
Pius XI, and said this, If to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, if all men purchased by his precious blood are by a new right subjected to his dominion, if this power embraces all men, it must be clear that not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to reveal truths and to the doctrines of Christ. He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to Him alone. He must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the Apostle Paul, as instruments of justice unto God. A beautiful summary of what it means to have you, Lord Jesus, as King, that you reign in my mind, that my mind be subject to the saving truth, the beautiful truth of the gospel, the truth of your teaching, that you reign in my will, that I always obey your laws and your precepts and your will for me personally as expressed in my vocation, that you reign, Lord, in my heart, that you have pole position in my heart, that you're number one in my heart, and that I detach myself from other things in order to love you above all things, that you reign, Lord, in my body and in my members, that I use my body and my physical powers to serve you. The preface of today's Mass is very beautiful, and it kind of spells out the benefits of letting Christ rule over us in this way. And it's beautiful in, in Latin, uh, especially because in Latin, um, there's fewer words, right? And so, if you bear with me, just listen to the Latin. It's very beautiful. Speaking of the, Christ, of the kingdom of Christ, Eternum et universale regnum, regnum veritatis et vitae, regnum satitatis et gratiae, regnum justitiae amoris et pacis. As king, he claims dominion over all creation, that he may present to you his Almighty Father an eternal and universal kingdom, a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. Lord, this is what you want to bring about in my life. This is what you are bringing about in my life. But it's hidden, and it's here but not yet fully developed. Ja, ma non ancora, as they say in Italian. And so, Lord, give me the peace to keep working on this kingdom. This is a great ideal, that my life become a place that's eternal and that is universal, that affects everyone, lasts until eternity, that's true and truly alive, that I'm lively, that I have the energy and the inspiration and the spunk to help people, to get things done for you. A kingdom, Lord, in my heart and my life that's holy and grace-filled. It's pleasing to you, imitating you, truly holy, that has you in it. Justice, love, and peace. That I'm strong enough, Lord, with your help to fulfill my duties in justice. And peace, Lord, that I feel that 
peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding. Lord, is my heart moving in this direction? Is my life moving in this direction? Justice, love, and peace. Or is there a great lack of peace in my life which shows me perhaps that I'm not saying your will be done which brings peace. I'm not letting you be king and subjecting myself to you. But that lack of peace might show me instead that I'm the one who's trying to be in charge. That I'm trying to do my own will. And when that happens, there's conflict and there's resistance. There's conflict and resistance because when we do our own will without seeking God's will, we're at odds with God. And when we're at odds with God, we're at odds with ourselves. We're only at peace in our own life and, and with ourselves to the extent that we're at peace with God and with others. And that peace, that order, comes from letting God be God, letting Christ be King. We have to give all the glory to God, St. Josemaria says. We have to give all the glory to God. He wants this. Gloria meum alta non dabo. I will not give my glory to another, he says in the book of Isaiah. Therefore we want Christ to reign, given that through him and with him and in him all glory and honor is yours, God, Almighty Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit. And his glory and his reign require that everyone, with Peter, go to Jesus through Mary. So, Lord Jesus, on this feast of your kingship, we make this aspiration our own. We want Christ to reign. Lord, we want you to reign in in the world. We want you to reign in the church. We want you to reign in that little part of the church, which is my life and my heart. We want you to reign in my work. We want you to reign in my prayer life. We want you to reign in every part of my life. Viva Cristo Rey, as the Cristeros in Mexico Famously said, Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. We go to Our Lady. If we celebrate Christ the King today, we also remember Our Lady at His right hand, a queen, queen of heaven, queen of the church, queen of the universe. Our Lady, our mother, help us to say with all of our heart, with our prayer life, with our work, with our apostolate, we want Christ to reign. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.